I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together, right here on Outside the Walls. Do small children belong in the Mass? Or are they better served by some other program uh, where whereby they can understand and hear the, the teaching of the church on their level in an age-appropriate way? That's today's question, and it's uh, one that I wouldn't necessarily bring up on my own because it, it seems almost like a rhetorical question. But it is a question that has come up on Catholic social media here in the last week with no small measure of, uh, of intensity. As young, uh, young parents and younger Catholics have been responding to a blog post written by a priest up in the Northeast, uh, whereby he suggests that perhaps the best thing to do is to, to have children go to an age-appropriate program that would then leave plenty of time uh, and energy so that the parents could focus on what's going on in Mass so that they could experience it more fully. And, uh, and there just has been a flood of various response pieces, and this is going to fall kind of in that line as we're going to explore this question, uh, which really strikes at the heart of what is the purpose of the Mass? What is the purpose of our worship together? And these are questions that uh, are worth our consideration. In the Protestant tradition of my childhood, the the answer was to have that age-appropriate kind of catechesis and, and, and proclamation of the gospel. And uh, we had this children's church that I was a part of. And I, I remember uh, when I first started going to it, probably around six years of age, and I, I did that all the way through elementary school. And then after elementary school, I began to volunteer as, uh, as a means to let other children go through that. And so this was part of my experience growing up, and it was a culture shift as I became Catholic to see uh, the way that that was done differently. And as a parent, uh, having had my children in the nursery when I was in the Protestant church, and then the transition that we came to as a family moving away from that model and into the one where now we take up an entire pew in the front of our church with with all of our little stair-step heads going down the pew, um, all the way to the very youngest that sits in our lap and uh, and tries, we, we do our best to help them appropriate the Mass in as much as they are able to for their age level. So we're going to unpack that question today. Do children belong in the Mass? We're going to have that conversation with Kate Wicker, and it's one that you're not going to want to miss. But this day, this the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord, which I think is kind of appropriate for today's discussion, uh, is the feast where Mary and Joseph took the child Jesus, the infant Jesus, and presented him at the temple and uh, sacrificed two turtle doves at, to dedicate him and consecrate him to the Lord. So this is a this is a, a fantastic conversation to have on this day. Uh, but this day is meaningful for me in a couple of different ways. First of all, it's the day that we finally get to take down all of our Christmas decorations. Um, we're, we're pretending like it was on purpose, but our nativity has been out front. Uh, since Christmas, and so it's it's time it's time for it to come down. So that's that's one thing. But the other thing is today is the birthday of my of my cousin. We've had him on the show a couple of times. He talked about the Shroud of Turin uh, and and a fascinating discussion there, and some other things that he's done as well. Uh, Father Peter Mangum out of the Diocese of Shreveport, Louisiana. He's currently 
serving as the administrator of the diocese in the absence of the bishop as they are waiting for Pope Francis to uh, appoint another bishop. So today, in in charity, say a prayer for Father Peter Mangum. It's his birthday, uh, and he's got a lot on his plate right now. But something that uh, I've talked on the show before, uh, that he would always plant these little seeds in my mind when I was still Protestant of uh, just asking questions and and kind of probing me a little bit. And I recall this postcard that I got from him when I, when I went to seminary um, saying, congratulations on going to seminary. Maybe one day we'll call you Father Tim. And I didn't ever really think much about it because I knew I was never becoming Catholic. Well, I was digging through this, um, this box the other day and I find this thing from him. It's no, it's not a postcard. It's a whole letter. And it, this is a beautiful case study in evangelization, in the boldness of evangelization. Because he was quite a bit older than me as a cousin, so I, I wasn't as close to him as you might imagine when you hear uh, the, the title cousin. Uh, he lived in a different state. I didn't see him very often. Uh, and so it wasn't until I was in high school that I began to, to interact with him on any kind of a level. And that wasn't even really all that often. But every once in a while, I would go and I would see him when we'd visit, and it was pleasant. And uh, and so when I went to seminary, I was trying to raise money. I, I needed to, um, be able to pay off those tuition bills. And so I sent out a fundraising letter and, and I sent one to him. It was a friends and family letter. And he, his response to me was fascinating. And I talked about the fact that I wasn't affiliated with any denomination. Um, and for me, that meant one thing, but for him, I think he smelled like blood in the water and started circling. It's like, oh, you're not affiliated with the denomination, are you? Uh, and so he he says this, when I think of your journey of discernment, you're genuinely seeking truth. You're not being affiliated with any particular denomination. And what I've heard you say in the past regarding the Pope and the Catholic Church, etc., I can't help but wonder if your journey will bring you to the Catholic Church. Now, remember, we, we had a, a certain amount of affability and a, and a nice cordial relationship, but this was still a risk for him to take. And, and he took it. He saw the opportunity. He prayed. He, I have no doubt he prayed over this letter before he wrote it. And it didn't make a huge impact on me in the time. I kind of dismissed it. And yet, looking back on it now, I see the seeds of his prayer. I see the effort that he put into uh, this relationship and the investment that he made in this relationship. Uh, and and the fruit that it bore. So as we go to our commercial break today, I would ask that you would say a quick prayer of blessing for Father Peter Mangum of the Diocese of Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, in gratitude for that effort. And then emulate him in those relationships that you have. Find that place to speak into someone's life. When we come back, we're going to talk with Kate Wicker about the question, do our small children, our small children, belong in Mass Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. There is so much more right after this break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. 
where we explore the implications of our belief on daily life. I'm your host, TL. And if you've been around the show for any length of time, you know that we like to talk about the implications of our faith. I don't often reference uh, works that I disagree with. Uh, and and today I'm going to make an exception because it's around the things we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, about passing the faith on to our children. And in a very specific way today on the Feast of the Presentation, where uh, where Jesus' parents took him to, to church, right, to the temple to present him, um, I, I, I came across this article this last week from a, a very prominent priest who's part of a, um, a movement to help renovate, uh, re- rejuvenate churches, uh, talking about, he said, why we don't encourage little children coming to Mass. And I, of course, I, as you know, have many little children that I take to Mass, and we sit in the front row, and uh, it's for a number of reasons. One, because there's less to distract the children. Two, because there's less to distract mom and dad. We don't get to see anybody giving us sideways glances because they're all behind us. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I wanted to respond to this. And before I get too deep into it, I want to acknowledge, first of all, that there are many things that this priest does, while he's not my cup of tea, um, that are that are worth looking at and worth talking about, like um, improving our homilies. That's something worth talking about. Improving our hospitality and recognizing the visitor and the stranger as they come into church. These are things that are conversations that are worth having, even if we might disagree on the best way to get that done. Now, uh, this, however, this conversation about whether or not and this, again, is not whether or not you should bring your small children to Mass, but whether or not they are uh, encouraged at all from from the the church's perspective to come to Mass. Uh, so as we talk about this today, uh, if you don't take your small kids to Mass, don't feel judged in that. But I, I want to make sure that we talk about the church's position that children are welcomed and encouraged to come to Mass, whether or not that works uh, in your family or not. So in the midst of this, as I was trying to figure out how to respond to this, I went on to Google and I typed in, kids belong at Mass, because I, I really, I believe that. And there are some great commentaries on why that is, even going and referencing canon law. Uh, and one of the first things that popped up was this article from 10 years ago, from 2009, telling us, setting us all straight here in the future uh, I tracked down the author, Kate Wicker, who is joining us today to have a conversation about this very thing. Kate, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you are an, an expert at this because you have, as <laughs> you say, five extra sparkly children. You have experienced uh, taking small children to Mass and the, uh, and the, and the joy and, and overwhelming abundant um, noise that they can bring along with them. Yeah, it, it, to me, this is a topic that I'm extremely passionate about. Uh, normally, I've been very blessed to run into support from the priests in the different parishes I've belonged to. Actually, one was from East Africa. And I rem- I'll never forget, I was going to daily mass. And during the consecration, one of my children let out a very happy squeal. And he proceeded, you know, he didn't interrupt the, the holiness of the consecration. But afterwards, he said, if only we all happily squealed when yeah. <laughs> the bread was becoming the body of Christ. And I just appreciated it so much. And afterwards I went up to talk to him and thanked him. And he said where he came from, 
the mass, he, he, it's, it's been hard for him to get used to how short mass is here in America because mass would last hours. Right. And everybody from the village would come with all of their children and there would be nursing mothers and it would be this just beautiful um, sacramental celebration of and the body of Christ. Everyone was welcome there. And he said it's been hard for him to get used to how sometimes in America there can be this this division. And like you said, if your church has a nursery or, and you feel comfortable to bring your child there, or you have children's programs, that is up to the individual parent to decide. However, for me personally, I have found that um, bringing my children from the time they are infants on helps not only them to grow in the beauty of the faith and not all of a sudden when they make the first sacrament of Holy Communion to be like, oh, what is this all about? No, they've kind of, it's, I, I've used the analogy before that you don't feed an infant or a baby who's ready to start solids at, you know, six months or whatever steak, right. <laughs> you know, you, you start them off with breast milk or formula or whatever, and then they slowly ease into different things. And it's a, it's a poor analogy, but the, the <laughs> church is this amazing feast that we're gathering toward and they, to understand it, everyone gets graces there. We believe that, that everyone there, even those who don't receive the the um, sacrament of the Eucharist are receiving graces. And it's just an, such an important thing. And I'll tell you what, you and me, our parents, we grow in graces too, because you have to learn to take a deep breath. And when your children is whispering a question, you know, you have to learn to not pinch them really hard and say, be quiet. <laughs> God is love. And you want to teach them about that love. So I know I have grown in graces and my youngest now is two, um, but I have helpers now. My oldest is 14. And sometimes if the two-year-old is getting really wiggly, my 14-year-old will take him out. So we're not a huge distraction to everyone the whole time. So I'm not saying that I'm letting my children scale the pews and, right. you know, gnash the whole time, but they are getting things out of it. I think sometimes we forget these, these tiny little treasures that are children are, um, they can be wellsprings of wisdom. They really, really can be. I think it's important as well to ask the question, what is the mass and what is the mass ordered toward? You know, um, this specific priest, he's part of a a church in Timonium, Maryland. It's, uh, he wrote a book called Rebuilt. Uh, they have uh, really a focus on the message, uh, and, and it's for them, it's a time of receiving sacramental graces, but it seems to me that there's a large part of it that it seems in his mind, the mass is for uh, catechesis and growing in grace, uh, and then receiving the graces for those who are able to take the sacrament. And and I want to push back against that because it, it to me it's a time for community worship. And as we come together uh, as a community in the fullness of who we are, and by the way, everyone who has been baptized is uh, initiated into the body of Christ. So just like in the Old Testament, where the whole people of God gathered around the temple uh, at the high holy days, we have these holy days of obligations, these Sundays, where we come as a community to witness and participate in the, the sacrifice of Christ, that Christ is offering himself once for all for us and the whole community. And we all, the whole community of, of initiated believers who have been brought into the body of Christ, all of us need to be there for that. And so before we go too much further, I want to ask two questions. Yeah. Uh, certainly respond to that last thing, but w- tell me a story of, of the worst mass. You know the one where uh, the children just did uh, the unthinkable in your mind. And then follow that up with 
what has been something that you've witnessed in your children that has been a grace that they have received or maybe appropriated more than you expected them to at their age and you've watched it work out in the rest of their life? You know, my, it's funny because I had my first three were girls. And so girls just naturally sit still a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. And I, I went to daily mass a lot. And I remember just thinking, even though I had a very, she's a complete tomboy, a big athlete, she still had the focused attention earlier on as, as little girls often do. And then I had this boy <laughs> and I can remember we're, we're, our, we're currently actually building a new church because we've, it's a beautiful thing. We've outgrown the church that's here. So we're currently having our mass in my children's school gymnasium, our parochial school's gymnasium. And when my, he's now seven, but when he was around, gosh, probably three or four, I had to take him to the back because he was just crawling all over the floor. And I thought we were in a safe place and I was paying attention, wasn't paying attention to the mask. I was paying attention to the mask, wasn't really paying attention to him until he managed to knock down a huge pile of gymnastic mats that just went, I mean, you know, it sounded like gunshot in the middle of mass. And like I said, thankfully, I, our pastor actually says things like, if we don't hear some children during mass, we better be worried because they're right. the future of the church. So he says things like that to encourage parents mm-hmm. to bring their young children. But, um, I was mortified and I just thought, but I also though realized that this was more about me too, how Mm -hmm. I appeared as the mother, how, uh, you know, how this noisiness, he was too little to realize what he had done. And I, I kept at it and he can, I kept bringing him to mass and it was hard. It took a lot longer for him to sit still, but now as a seven year old little boy, he, he sits still and he asked, he begged for me to buy him a missile um, that he could follow around, follow along with. And if I had just started bringing him to mass now that he can sit still, I don't think he'd be asking for something to follow along with the mass parts. He'd be totally confused. So even though it's been a distraction and this craziness, I know he was getting things out of it. I can remember that mass just being awful, but our priest was wonderful about it. My parish for the most part has, um, Every once in a while, I'll get a sideways glance, but not much at my home parish because most people know us by now. And it's just a a very supportive, supportive place. Um, I can also remember something that I shared in the the article that you referenced. I remember when a little one asked me, are we really eating, you know, Jesus's body and blood? And they were very little and it was in the middle of mass. And I thought, oh gosh, do I, do I explain this to them right now? And all of a sudden my older child said, it is, it really, really is like just affirming that we really are receiving Jesus. And the the little siblings was like, okay, you know, believes the big yep. sister. And I thought that was a beautiful moment. And even some of the more embarrassing moments, I realized like that same son, we were walking up to communion one day and he said, mommy, and he has a, he's not, he's a sparkly child, as I say, because he's not <laughs> capable. He has a stage whisper. So right. even his whisper projects, right. he said, mommy, Jesus is up there in the, in the tackle box. Cause we had just gone fishing. So he's the tackle box instead of tabernacle. Right. But I realized, you know, we're on the right track. There, That's right. You know? And so you have to take these, these, these little things. Um, we're, we're getting there and we're, as you said to me, the difference between us and our Protestant brothers and sisters is yes, of course we want to get, we want to be nourished through the liturgy of the word and the homilies and all these things. But the ultimate 
reason we're there is for the Eucharist. That's right. And Jesus shed his precious blood for everyone. The wiggly infants, the, I remember once a woman with a breathing machine kept beeping and that was a distraction to me, but that was my problem. That wasn't, she's welcome at mass, just like anyone else. Um, So I think that if we start to get, talk about all the different people that can cause distractions or, you know, like I I have friends who go to Protestant churches and each age group has a different, like the adults have their own little worship and the children have their, and the teens. And, but we're the, we're the body of Christ. We're meant to worship together. Myriad pre, um, excuse me, myriad posts, uh, popes have said that it's for the whole Christian, the whole Christian family. Um, and they want us all at that table of the Lord and that we have to realize that at the end of the day, mass isn't about me. It's about him. It's about Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, this idea that, that, um, we would segment out is completely opposed to what Paul said, that we, we have different roles. We have different places. We have different levels of maturity, but we are one body and we're there for one another. And to me, mass is as much about the wonder uh, and and the taking in of the mystery as it is about anything else. And that wonder can be appropriated even by our children. We're going to continue this conversation. There is a whole lot more, including some practical tips for helping you get your children to get the most out of mass. Coming right after this as we talk with Kate Wicker. Find out more information about her over at her blog, katewicker.com. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Tell me about your worst mass and about the graces your children receive. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. We're, we're talking about a, uh, a, a slightly controversial topic today. Do kids belong in mass? By the way, the correct answer is yes. Yes, they do. But uh, the, there has been some debate about that on, uh, on the interwebs. Uh, a, a blog was written by a notable pastor, a priest, not too terribly long ago, this last week. Uh, about why his church has all kinds of children's ministries that go on during the mass time and that they don't encourage at their parish children to come to mass. Uh, well, as a parent of of seven, soon to be eight, uh, this was not something that that I could just leave out there. Specifically, as we're today celebrating the presentation of the Lord in the temple, where the Mary and Joseph fulfilled their responsibility to take Jesus and present him in the place of sacrifice, the place of worship, uh, and at that early age, introduced him to the, to the realm of, of the faith and had him initiated into that body of, of faith uh, at his time. So now we do a similar thing with our children. Now, for me, I grew, up, um, I grew up Protestant. I came into the church in 2011, and I was on church staff in a Protestant world for a number of years. And so I, I was always on, the, on what we would call the chancel in the in the Protestant world, which we call the sanctuary here in the Catholic world. Uh, so I was up on the chancel and my wife was down in the pews. And so we took our kids to the nursery. And when we first started coming to Catholic mass, we didn't really understand what we were doing. So we took our kids to the nursery. Then um, after about six months, 
it it seemed like the good opportunity to say let we, and and honestly we had a really good example um uh, the Beauclair family and they they sat right up front and they man it wasn't always successful getting their kids to be in mass but it was important to them to have their kids in mass right up front with as few distractions as possible and uh and that really inspired us to say you know this this is something that is uh, a value that's important I saw this on Twitter. J.D. Flynn, who is uh, the executive editor for Catholic News Agency, uh, he wrote this. He said, taking kids to Mass often feels like a real cross. It can be hard, but they have an obligation and a right to be there. And we're at the foot of the cross during the Mass. I can hardly drop off my cross in the nursery before thanking Jesus for taking up his. There is a canonical obligation and a right for those children who have been baptized for them to be fully incorporated into the life of the church. And to talk about that more fully, we're talking today with Kate Wicker. She is a mom of five, as she puts it, extra sparkly kids, writer, speaker, and more. She's the author of the book, Getting Past Perfect, Finding Joy and Grace in the Messiness of Motherhood. Kate, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about uh, strategies. First of all, I'm convinced that every parent hears their own child more loudly than anyone else. And for those of us who are parents, what we think of when we hear some other child in a meltdown or crying out in the middle of mass or making a loud noise is, thank you, Jesus, it wasn't mine, solidarity with you other parent. (laughs) Exactly. I always try and smile and encourage at those poor parents because that's exactly what I'm thinking. Oh, it's not mine. And and not in a judgment way, but oh gosh, it so easily could have been mine today. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's what I mean. Yeah. So I have some strategies. And just before I go into that, I just want to remind our listeners that as Catholics, we also are Mm pro-life and pro-life means being open to these families that are saying yes to life over and over. I once had an argument of someone very charitably say, well, well, why don't you take turns going to mass? Well, with you expecting your eighth, with me five, I mean, I, we would never worship together as a family if I didn't bring little ones and infants and, the, and these little ones to mass. I think of military spouses who's, or my husband has to work a lot of weekend shifts. So the, sometimes that's just not, it's never practical in my mind, but even if someone wanted to do that, it's just not practical for a lot of families. And so we just need to do everything we can to make sure that they know that they're welcome. And let's uh, let's and, be clear that we're not we're not expecting or encouraging pandemonium. There is a something of about teaching children an etiquette of a certain place. Exactly. When we come and in that's here, why after I wrote this article about why young children belong at mass, I followed it up at, um, with uh, some tips on what I have found to be helpful to kind of get these really little fidgety ones to be to be focused. Um, I. I think that it's very helpful to sit up close. And I, I know that some people will argue, um, but like, as you said, they, they're seeing the priest, our priest, even one time waved to my little toddler, Charlie was like, Hey, Charlie, you know, not during an important (laughs) sacramental part, but just to to be right up there at front. And um, so the children can pay attention and be more focused. Oh, man. I also, Oh, we, oh, sorry. Go ahead. We, we had a priest and he was preaching about something. I don't know if it was unless you approach like a little child or something, but we were sitting on the front row and he just came right down and picked the child, got permission, of course, uh, non-verbally, yes. picked him up and took him up into the sanctuary and used him as a sermon illustration. I'm like, whoa. Exactly. Whoa. 
We knew that uh, exactly. priest really well. And, and that's the thing is, you know, Jesus, um, I know that Father, the article you cited, he quoted the Old Testament, but then Jesus is the one who comes in the New Testament and right. says, let the little children come. And every, I mean, Jesus welcomes everybody at the table. So, right. so that's, that's where we're at now. So to have those children though, so there's not this pandemonium, as you said, to be mindful of the people around us trying to get a worship experience. I will bring things like um, St. Figurines or, or little, uh, lots of religious books. Um, there are so many great books out there. You can go on Amazon and, and search just like Catholic children's books and um, a, an illustrated Catholic Bible. Yeah. I mean, talking about the son and saint books, you know, he got very interested really quickly on all those saint books to see pictures of St. Sebastian and all right. these, because, oh, what's going on here? So, you know, so that can kind of captivate the imagination of the child. But it's still to me, even though they're listening in mass, it's, it, I mean, it may not be, excuse me, even though they may be a little distracted in mass, they're still looking at something that is nourishing their their spiritual side. Well, and I also love this idea of having, you know, we're not bringing just generic toys. We're bringing something specific to the faith that, that this is the only time that they get to interact with it. Exactly. And so, so you save it. You're creating this expectation that here is a different place and a different reality. And we do things differently here than we do elsewhere. Exactly. And I found, I also found that this entertained my children for a long time. I had a little key ring with laminated saint cards on right. it that they could flip through. Um, so they were looking at the communion of saints and the friends of Jesus as we were at mass. That was helpful. Um, I am someone who will nurse babies that need to be nursed. Um, I try at all costs to avoid snacks. Um, in my original article, I said no food ever. I will say every once in a while for my two-year-old, but we are in a gymnasium right now, so it's a little bit different. Right. Obviously, my children that are um, were fasting before communion, all my older children and me, but um, the um, sometimes I will bring something very quiet and non-messy for the the, the, the smallest one. Mm-hmm. Um, but that so sitting up front. Also, I found if you sit near a family that your other children know, or even just another family my two-year-old is captivated by kids around his age. And because he has all these older siblings, there's a little bit of a gap between his four older siblings. So little ones kind of really interest him. So I'll strategically kind of look for another, (laughs) some little minions that he can, (laughs) he can look at. That has been very helpful uh, to me. Um, uh, uh, So sitting up front. um, Oh, one beautiful thing too, that I found is so awesome about the Catholic mass that I feel like Almost it was, again, made for the whole family to worship. There's this up and down. There's this posturing. There's this. So just as a child is starting to get antsy, it comes time to kneel. And then it comes time to stand again. And so that helps. And choose a mass where they have really lively music. mm -hmm. If you have different masses, that helps. And we we, um, expect our children at various ages to act differently. So the two-year-old. Exactly. When it's time to stand, we want him to stand. When it's time to kneel, we want him to be around the kneeler somewhere, right? Uh, and we, so we don't expect a, a per, perfect participation um, or even, you know, what, what is, I heard someone say, we need to have, they need to understand the mass. And the, the response is, who among us really understands the mass? I mean, exactly. who really gets that that's Jesus up there and and not have our brains get in the way of it or or darken our understanding. Even St. Thomas Aquinas at the end of his life had this mystical experience 
And with all of the treasures of writing he gave us, he said, everything I've written is straw compared to what I've come to know. And so who among us knows better than these children? uh, I agree with you 100%. When we say things like, well, until the children can fully understand. And I think, well, gosh, I don't belong at mass then. Right. Because it's so difficult to fully understand the mystery of the church and this this beauty that we have within the Catholic church. I, I mean, that's when I'll hopefully, God willing, and with God's grace become a saint is when I'll fully understand. So another thing that I think is really important for parents, though, as you were saying, um, you know, learning about the mystery and things is not making it a one day event. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to talk about the Catholic faith and you can even have little um, times where you, I remember I had a little um, math. Um, it was, there's a little, it's, I think it's by we believers. It was a little soft yeah. sort of kit. And so you could talk to the children about, we genuflect before Jesus. We, so you talk to them before mass so that they kind of understand some of the things that are going on um, and to use their, their whole bodies to worship. And um, as you said, to encourage their participation according to their ability. Obviously my expectations for my 11 and 14 year old are going to be different than my seven and two year, you know, everywhere in between. We, Um, we did this thing where uh, one, if you can make it the daily mass, that makes a huge difference. It does. Uh, and it's shorter and it's easier for them. But the other thing that we do is uh, we were trying to figure out how do we get them really to understand this and to, you know, learn to sing the psalm back and to learn the stand and the kneel. And we at bedtime, we would do the mass readings for the day, every day. Yep. And we would Impact. stand yep. at the appropriate time and sing the Gloria and make up the music for the psalm and sing the psalm yep. just to put that rhythm in them somewhere where they could practice be sitting still outside of the mass itself. I agree. And also to be sort of, and it's gotten a little more difficult now that I have older children and younger children to pick a mass time that will work for everyone, but to be strategic about mass times, like to try to avoid a, if it's right around a child's nap time or you don't feed them beforehand, it's really unfair to expect them to be perfectly behaved if they're going to be hungry or tired. So if you can plan your different, and that's the other thing that's such a blessing, at least in our parish, is we have many different mass times to choose from. So to to kind of strategically plan, okay, when is my child going to have their physical needs the most met, that they're going to be able to um, deal with this uh, different situation and the the wiggles and things like that a little bit more easily. So, and I also, and I know this is going to, possibly controversial, be controversial. But I do tell parents to, I have seen parents use the cry room. We don't have a cry room, but in other parishes to use it so much that the child never really learns and they just run around in the cry room. Well, and, and it and becomes so, a thing of that's a reward. So let me d- misbehave enough yes. so that you will take me there. Yeah. And then it becomes just this pure chaos and it's not really a valid option if everybody in the cry room is just letting their children run wild because then your child just says, oh, hey, mass is the time when mom takes me out and we get segregated and I get to be a monkey and climb and be crazy. And (laughs) so just beware of that. That's not controversial. This is controversial. I heard someone say that the cry room should be for those people who want it to be silent in mass and everyone else (laughs) perfectly silent. We have a room specifically for that. Oh, Well, so today we're talking about bringing our kids to Mass and the importance of that as we celebrate the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord today. We're talking with Kate Wicker. Find her blog over at katewicker.com. 
take a look at her book, Getting Past Perfect, Finding Joy and Grace and Messiness of Motherhood. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily lives. I'm your host, TL. And today we've been asking the question, do small children belong in mass? Now, of course, by now you know I think the answer is yes. I think they have a right to it by virtue of their baptism. They are part of the family of God, uh, and, and so they have the right to the mass. And we parents have a responsibility that if we do bring them into the mass— uh, we have a responsibility to teach them the wonder of the Mass, to give them the opportunity. Uh, and yes, they're not going to be 100% entranced the whole time, but we want to give them the opportunity to recognize the Mass as a different place. And so that takes some effort on our part. It takes some uh, some intentionality and in creating an atmosphere for them to recognize that there is an etiquette, a certain behavior that we have at Mass that's different from other places, uh, it means that if uh, a child is inconsolable or getting to a place where it's going beyond a, a simple squawk or a little bit of noise, that we do have to shuffle them out. And for me, because we sit way up in the front, uh, that can create a little bit of an interesting issue because there's this this kind of weighing the situation. How quick are they going to quit crying? Do I have to uh, stand up and walk all the way out how long is this going to go on? So there's this whole judging thing that goes on, and it it is a um, uh, it's a challenge. And I, again, I love what what JD Flynn said that yes, it can be a cross to take our children into mass, and yet just like uh, the cross bore incredible benefits for our salvation, uh, carrying the cross of having our children in mass has incredible benefits for their relationship with Christ. So we carry the cross for the sake of our children. And, and I encourage you to, if you see someone who has a, a hard day with their children, just go up and tell them, I'm so glad that you were here today. It was great to have your kids in mass. Even if it's a, a St. Therese of Lisieux thing where uh, you really weren't thrilled to have them there, say it anyway, because it'll build virtue in you and it will give consolation to them. If you missed any part of my conversation with Kate Wicker or you want to share it with others, have no fear, all of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And there's even more to my conversation with Kate available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Uh, we have a great network of people who want to see this show continue. They help keep us on the air by giving a small amount of support each month. $5 a month gets you access to all of our extra segments. That's uh, about a dollar per extra segment. We have 10 to 15 minutes each and every week, uh, extra questions with our guest and gratitude for those who support the show. If you want to be a part of that network, go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Support the Show link, and follow the directions you find there. Well, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. Today's reading from Scripture comes from the Feast of the Presentation. It comes from the Gospel of Luke. When the days were completed for their purification according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph took Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord and to offer the sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons in accordance with the dictate of the law of the Lord. 
Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, awaiting the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Christ of the Lord. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform the custom of the law in regard to him, he took him into his arms and blessed God, saying, Now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be contradicted. And you yourself a sword will pierce, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, She was advanced in years, having lived seven years with her husband after her marriage, and then as a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day with fasting and prayer. And coming forward at that very time, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had fulfilled all the prescriptions of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. That reading comes from the Gospel of Luke and tells the story of today's Feast of the Presentation. Today's reading from church history comes from William of St. Theory. Truly, you alone are the Lord. Your dominion is our salvation, for to serve you is nothing else but to be saved by you. O Lord, salvation is your gift and your blessing upon your people. What else is your salvation but receiving from you the gift of loving you or being loved by you? That, Lord, is why you willed that the Son at your right hand, the man whom you made strong for yourself, should be called Jesus, that is to say, Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. And there is no other in whom there is salvation. He taught us to love him by first loving us, even to death on the cross. By loving us and holding us so dear, he stirred us to love him who had first loved us to the end. And this is clearly the reason. You first loved us so that we might love you, not because you needed our love, but because we could not be what you created us to be except by loving you. In many ways and on various occasions you spoke to our fathers through the prophets. Now in these last days you have spoken to us in the Son your word. By him the heavens were established and all their powers came to be by the breath of his mouth. For you to speak thus in your Son was to bring out in the light of day how much and in what way you loved us. For you did not spare your own Son but delivered him up for us all. He also loved us and gave himself up for us. This, Lord, is your word to us. This is your all-powerful message. While all things were in midnight silence, that is, were in the depths of error, he came from his royal throne, 
the stern conqueror of error, and the gentle apostle of love. Everything he did and everything he said on earth, even enduring the insults, the spitting, the buffeting, the cross and the grave, all of this was actually you speaking to us in your Son, appealing to us by your love and stirring up our love for you. You know that this disposition could not be forced on men's hearts, my God, since you created them. It must rather be elicited. And this for the further reason that there is no freedom where there is compulsion. And where freedom is lacking, so too is righteousness. You wanted us to love you then. We who could not with justice have been saved had we not loved you, nor could we have loved you except by your gift. So, Lord, as the apostle of your love tells us, And as we have already said, you first loved us. You are the first to love all those who love you. Thus, we hold you dear by the affection you have implanted in us. You are the one supremely good and ultimate goodness. Your love is your goodness, the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. From the beginning of creation, it was he who hovered over the waters that is, over the wavering minds of men, offering himself to all, drawing all things to himself. By this inspiration and holy breath, by keeping us from harm and providing for our needs, he unites God to us and us to God. That reading comes from St. William of Theory. And I chose this reading today because of something very specific. Here we get, again, a proper perspective of the Mass, a proper perspective of of Christ's coming to us. And that perspective is one of love. It's not one of understanding. We gain understanding by the gift of the Holy Spirit, but what is most important is not our understanding and not our intellectual assent, but our love. And that love comes from an experience with Christ. And we do that, and we can give our children that experience with Christ right there in the Mass. As we enter into the church, we give the children the concrete signs of the faith, and we help them learn to bless themselves with holy water. We point to the tabernacle, and we say, this is where Jesus is, and we teach them to bow. And they experience these uh, these very tangible, concrete uh, motions and and postures that are so well-suited to the, to the knowledge and learning styles of young children, these very concrete actions. And so through this, we give them an encounter that Christ is not distant. He's not ethereal. He's not out there and he's not stuck in our intellect, but rather he's here and he's close and he's ready for us to come and meet with him. So I encourage you, maybe you've not been in a place where maybe you've left your kids in the nursery. Try. This week, maybe you go uh, into the church at some time other than the Mass until you're used to it, but give them the opportunity to go and see the tabernacle and give them the opportunity to be in the presence of Christ there in the church. And as soon as you're ready, go ahead and take them as baptized Christians, as people who are part of the body of Christ, take them into the Mass. That's all the time we have for this week. Today's show is brought to you by Rodney Moxley and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link and join their numbers. Join us over on social media. i got a lot of articles for you this week. Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. 
Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.